Church of the Beloved, my name is Abe. I am the pastor for our Wicker Park campus, and I am so glad that you've joined us today, virtually. You know, we started this series on the gospel according to Exodus, uh, the, the story of Christ as evidenced in this book back in August. And I have to say, with COVID, it feels like it was years ago. Um, there's a lot more that we could spend on these passages through Exodus, but Pastor Natua and I, we, we decided that, you know what, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this sermon series next week because we want to spend the first three weeks of December leading into Christmas focusing more on Advent. Now, I want to mention a few things. In preparation for the Christmas season, um, uh, we're wanting to pull together a beloved virtual choir for Christmas. Uh, we would love it if you would participate. So if you're interested in singing and being a part of that choir, please email me, abe at cotv.life or info at cotv.life, and we'll get you connected to the team that's doing that. Another thing I want to mention is that starting in December, we're going to be shifting to a single live stream. That's just this 10 a.m. live stream that we're doing right now. From now on, after the 10 a.m. live stream, we're going to shift to uh, an on-demand uh, on, via YouTube moving forward. So right now, I want to ask if you could join with me. I want to start with a word of prayer before we dive into scripture. Will you pray with me? Precious Father, I'll be honest with you right now, I am pretty weary. I'm weary of 2020, weary of, of not being able to gather together as a body, weary for those who are feeling isolated and alone, weary for those who are facing financial insecurity because everything that's happening, weary of the strife and the anger that's in our country and in our world. And so I beg you, God, I so need your power and your peace. And, and for those who are weary with me, I, I beg you for them. We need your power and your peace because, because we are your church, God. So I ask you to revive us, Lord. And may the words of my mouth be a conduit of your truth alone. May your spirit speak through me now. And I lift this prayer to your ears, O oh God. Amen. So as I mentioned, um, we're coming to the end of this gospel series, the gospel according to Exodus. And today, we're going to be looking at chapters 25 through 39, minus the golden calf incident that Pastor Otua preached on last week. And once again, next week, we're going to uh, kick off our Advent season by closing out this series. And let me explain. The reason I want to do this huge swath of chapters 25 to 39 all at once is because chapter 25 to chapter 31 and chapter 34 to 39, they're basically mirrors of each other. Now, it's all about the tabernacle, the, the tent of meeting, and, and the priests who will care for that. In the first half, it covers God's instructions, very specific instructions on, on how the tabernacle should be, must be built. In the second half, it covers Israel's obedience in building that tabernacle based on those instructions. Now, let me give you an example. I'm going to read to you from Exodus chapter 25, uh, verses 23 to 30. And here, uh, God is giving Moses instructions on how to build the table for the bread of presence. And it says, starting in 23, you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. 
and you shall make a rim around it a hand breadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners uh, at its four legs. Close to the frings, uh, frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. And you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. All right, so now I'm going to turn to chapter 37 verse 10 to 16. It's a description of Bezalel and how he builds that table. And it says there, verse 10, he also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold around it. And he made a rim around it, a hand breadth wide, and made a molding of gold around the rim. He cast for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame were the rings as holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table and overlaid them with gold. And he made the vessels of pure gold that were to be on the table, his plates and dishes for incense, and his bowls and flagons with which to pour the drink offerings. So, for the most part, uh, the directions that you see in chapters 25 to 31, except for a couple of places where it starts covering the priest's ordination ceremonies, and are, they're mirrored in chapters 34 to 39. So I thought, you know what I want to do today is take a look at the bigger picture. I want to focus on what the tabernacle was and, and what that means for us as a result today. I want to consider the purpose of the tabernacle in the greater gospel story that the Bible points us to. And to start off, I'm going to reread what Grace read for us, just a portion of it, chapter 25, verse 9, just the first half. It says this, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. And I'm very intentionally emphasizing the word pattern because, you see, God is providing instructions on what the tabernacle, what it should look like, uh, what it should include, uh, how it should be furnished, how it should even smell. All these things are intended to be a pattern that is based on an already existing thing, an already existing reality. And and there is something else that the tabernacle is intended to copy. It's intended to represent. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 23 and 24. It says this, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You see, the tent of meeting, uh, the, the tabernacle, the temple of God, it represents heaven. It represents God's cosmic temple. If you look at the book of Genesis, you you read the story of how God created the heavens and the earth. And and, and everything above the earth, everything on the earth, everything below the earth. See, the Genesis story tells of the creation of a cosmic temple where, where God receives all the glory, all the honor. The creation story is the story of God creating the universe to serve as his tabernacle. It's perfect in every single way. And as God said, it is very good. 
and then humanity, we kind of screwed it up. And now we have this new tabernacle that's, that's patterned after the original that God had created in the first place. And let's consider that original tabernacle. Because one thing I want to point out is that this world was not created for humanity. God, God's creation, it absolutely supports you and me. It, it meets the needs of his beloved creatures. But the creation story was and is about God. It is God that is the central character of that story. It is God who is the defining element of all existence. It is God for whom the world was created, and it is God for whom the world exists. So this, this is his holy temple that our sin desecrates. And on day seven, after God had finished creating, he entered into his cosmic temple and he rested. A, a holy Sabbath. A holy Sabbath for God, by the way, was to take residence in that temple that he had just created for himself and to rule. And in the same way, in Exodus chapter 31, verse 16 and 17, he ends the instructions about how to create this new temple, this tabernacle, with an instruction to Sabbath to rest. Verse 16 and 31. Uh, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. Just, just a, a little side note. Chapter 32 and chapter 33, they cover the golden calf incident that we talked about last week. But then you come to chapter 35, and it just picks up right where chapter 31 leaves off. It's, like, it's almost like the calf thing never actually happened. If, if you were to consider the tabernacle as a holy space, and you consider the Sabbath as a holy time, God starts off in chapter 25 by providing instructions to Israel, to Israel on how to make this holy space so that they can spend holy time with God. And then it picks up right after the incident, uh, right where God left off. God calls his people to holy time so that they can now build that holy space. It's, it's like the incident was just a mere blip in God's master, in God's perfect plan. It, it's almost as if God turns around after all this and says, as I was saying, let's do this. Another thing I want you to consider here is this. I believe that the repetition of God's instructions throughout to the presentation of Israel's obedience, the building of the temple, I think that's intentional. I think that's actually a good thing because you know what it does? It reminds the reader and the listener that God is renewing his commitment to his chosen people, to, to the holy nation that was set apart. Even with the golden calf thing happening, God's still there. God's goal is to bring this nation to a place where they can worship him where they can be blessed by God. You know, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Thank God that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank God that he always keeps his promises. So the tabernacle is a, a, a pattern. It is an image, a representation, a copy of God's perfect cosmic temple. The tabernacle is also the place where God lives. It is the place where God dwells. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. 
It says this, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. This is the purpose of the tabernacle. This is the reason for the temple. The instructions that God is providing for this new temple, pattern after the original one that God had made, original, uh, created, is so that God can dwell with his beloved children. Israel is building a tabernacle so that God can, as he did with the original temple that he created in the Garden of Eden, dwell with his people. He, he's doing this so that he can be with his beloved kids. By, and by the way, the tabernacle story isn't limited to uh, just the instructions on how to build God's house. In chapter 29, uh, it goes into detail on how this tent of meeting is going to be made holy so that God can dwell in it like the original cosmic temple. Starting in verse 43 of chapter 29, it says, There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of the meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. See, God didn't just provide the people of Israel an escape from Egyptian slavery. No, God brought Israel out so that they could worship him, so that they might enter into a covenant relationship with the the king on high. And this tabernacle is the place where it's going to happen, a holy space so that Israel can spend holy time with God. But the process by which this holy space is going to be made holy, it is not by human hands. The consecration of the tabernacle is by God, God alone. God says, I'm going to consecrate this tent. God says, it is my glory that's going to make this place holy. The actions, ultimately, of the Israelites, it shows their obedience, it shows their adherence to God's law, and that's a great thing. But it's not their work that sanctifies this place. It's God. Because, again, the story is about God. God is the transformative component. God is the defining element. God is the central character in the story. So this holy space is made holy by God so that he can dwell with his beloved. And it's not so that he can visit his kids. God's not making a guest room among the Israelites. He's making a home. It's a permanent thing. Exodus chapter 29, verse 38 says this. Now, this is what I shall, you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. The first half of verse 42 says this. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations. Day by day, regularly. It's not a one-off annual visit kind of thing. It's not God's summer home that's being created. It is God's permanent address. It's his residence. One of the first things that my wife Suzette and I did when we realized that God was calling us to leave San Francisco and move to Chicago was to look for a permanent home in the Bucktown area. Now, most of our friends in San Francisco, they were adamant and telling us, you should rent. 
don't, don't go by. You don't know what really God wants you to do. We, we know you are going to come back to San Francisco one day. And so they're saying, no, 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 just, just run it. But, but Suzette and I, we understood something. We understood the value of having a, a consistent home, a, a permanent address. We understood that by buying a home, which God had blessed us with the means to be able to do, we were going to communicate to our future church, our future community, that this is where our heart is. It was a covenant that we decided we were going to enter into to be a part of Wicker Park. And slowly yet surely, the meeting, the, our home has, is becoming the meeting place for our church. And, and, and it is the place where hopefully soon we'll be able to gather again. It's where we dwell with our church family. God's commitment to dwell among the people of Israel, among his firstborn, it served as a constant reminder of the covenant relationship that God enters into every day with his chosen ones. See, the, the tabernacle, as is presented in chapters 25 to 39, it is patterned after God's perfect cosmic temple. In this tabernacle, as presented here, is a holy space that God uses to dwell among his people. And finally, this tabernacle, the last thing I want to tell you about is that as presented in Exodus, is done. It's been replaced. It's been perfected in the person of Jesus Christ. In, in other words, Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the better tabernacle. I want to read to you from John chapter 2, verse 18 to uh, 22. It says, so the Jews, and this is a story about the Pharisees. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us Uh, for doing these things. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And the Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus has spoken. You see the tabernacle and eventually the more permanent temples that came later. uh, These were imperfect representations patterned after the perfect cosmic temple that God had created. And now with God's son, that imperfect temple is replaced by the perfect redeemer. No longer is this temple patterned after the real thing because the real thing is here. And the real thing, it also dwells with us. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, and and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelt or or made his dwelling, in the original Greek, it has the same root as the Greek word for tabernacle. So basically, John's making the word tabernacle into a verb. The word became flesh and, in the person of Jesus, and Jesus tabernacled among his people. I've mentioned before, our context is king. So if we consider the original audience that John was writing this for, speaking to, he was writing to Jews who, who fully understood the importance and the centrality of the temple, of the tabernacle. So his use of language that very intentionally drew the reader to Jesus, the listener to Jesus, that that, that equated Jesus to the tabernacle, the most crucial element of Hebraic life, that was shocking to say the least. See, John's saying, he's explaining that Jesus is the new and better tabernacle. 
It's not a rejection of the original tabernacle. No, there, there was value up to this point for that tabernacle because it was a reminder of the covenant that this holy nation had entered into. You know, just like my wedding ring is a constant reminder of the covenant relationship I have with my wife that I entered into, the thing is the real thing is so much better. You know, the, the reminder points to the reality, but I'd rather be with the reality than the reminder. The tabernacle pointed to Israel's relationship with the king. But the Savior allows us to have an actual relationship with our king. See, the tabernacle, and eventually the temples that came later, for the Jewish people, it was intended to be a place where where God might dwell so that the chosen nation might be able to to connect to God. It it was a holy space where, where the people of Israel might have holy time with God. It was a reminder at the center of Jewish culture and life of the covenant that God has entered into with the children of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, and and of Moses. Even the priests, by the way, appointed by God, their clothing, it embodied the temple. And, And they served as tools as well to help connect the people to God. But it was an imperfect representation and that has now been perfected Christ. See, in every way, Jesus perfects what the temple tried to do. See, in the tabernacle, atoning sacrifice for sin, you had to do it constantly, but in Christ, it is finished through the singular act on the cross. In in the temple, the people were represented in the holiest part of the temple by a, a single priest who would speak to God on their behalf, but in Christ, we have direct access to God. In the tent of meaning, the people were separated from God by a veil. Even Moses, after being in God's presence, he had to wear a veil too because God's glory made his face so shiny that people just couldn't look at him. But in Jesus, that veil is removed. We're no longer separated from God. In, in the temple, it was, it was located at the center of the nation of, of Israel. And the people would travel to it to commune with God. But through the redemptive act of Jesus Christ, the temple now dwells in us through the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17. It says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I'm going to ask the... uh, band, if you guys don't mind coming back up, I'm going to end today's message now. You know, I, I understand it's going to be, it would be very easy for us to read these chapters about the instructions and the building of the tabernacle and the details and think, and I can just skim through these. Um, they, they really don't have any relevance to me. But I want to I make a posit something here. I believe that one can only understand where God is leading you today by understanding what God has led you from. And see, this tabernacle story is a reminder that there was a perfect cosmic temple that humanity desecrated. But God gave this holy nation another chance and allowed them to set up another temple, patterned after the original. 
Now, in all honesty, the Old and New Testament, they include stories of how human beings would take this beautiful reminder of God's desire to dwell with us, and we've twisted it and distorted it. So the Bible continues on that story to see the full realization of what the tabernacle was intended for and and how it has been fully completed and realized in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the new temple. Jesus Jesus is the better tabernacle. And, And that is why we can call this sermon series the gospel or the good news about Jesus as shown to us in the Exodus story. And through the Holy Spirit of God tabernacling within us, we can live out the purpose of that tabernacle to bring God all the glory, to commune with him, to bring God all the worship, to bring God back to the center of our story.